0: Well, we are about halfway through our series on Joshua, and so this morning we're going to be at the end of Joshua chapter 8, if you want to be turning there now. Uh, we have been on this uh, journey, and the first week we looked at the calling of Joshua, and the, the command, the encouragement that was given to him to be strong and courageous, that whatever he was to face coming up in the future, be strong and courageous. And we're reminded in that that we are all in a battle, and we are at the the front edge of a struggle, and we're reminded that God is with us. Be strong and courageous. The promise is, I am with you, and God is with us in the struggles that we face. In chapter 2, we have this story of Rahab and the spies where Rahab, of all people, the outsider, the the most outside you can possibly be, the outsider is the one declaring the power of God and the greatness of God. And we're reminded that we are outsiders and we are given this great gift of being insiders. Insiders. But the call is not to stay on the inside. The call is to go and bring other outsiders in to the family of God. In chapters 3 and 4, we finally get across the Jordan in this miraculous act of God. That God dries up the riverbed, and they're able to cross through. And Joshua piles up 12 stones to remember the mighty acts of God. And God has done some incredible things for us. And we need to remember the mighty acts of God in our lives. It's important for us to remember the amazing things that God has done, but it's so easy for us to forget. Day to day, the struggles come in, the battles come in, and, and we forget what God has done for us. And so we need to be continually remembering what God has done so that we're not discouraged, so that we don't lose heart, so we don't lose our way. In chapters 5 and 6, we, we see this bizarre battle plan of Jericho where they are told to walk around the city, blow trumpets and shout, And somehow, some way, that's going to allow them to win the city. And it does, because God is fighting the battle. God is the one who is fighting for us. And so as we enter into those battlefields, in the same way that the Israelites had to prepare themselves spiritually, we need to be preparing ourselves spiritually. How do we prepare ourselves for the battle at hand? And as they're taking Jericho, they have very clear instructions. Everything, all of the plunder is for God and for God alone. But Achan sees the wealth. He covets after it and he takes it and he hides it under his tents. And all of Israel suffers because of his sin. And so the story of Achan is a story of sin, but it's also a story of infinite forgiveness. That we can be redeemed, that we deserve death. We deserve the same kind of death that Achan deserves, but we receive the infinite forgiveness of God. And so we get to our story today, chapter 8, starting in verse 30. Then Joshua built an altar to the Lord. The God of Israel. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites, he built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the Law of Moses. All the Israelites, with their elders, officials, and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and native-born were there. Half of the people stood on Mount Gerizim, and and half of them in front of Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formerly commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel, afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses. Just as it is written in the book of the law, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. All right, so we have a relatively short passage this this week compared to what we've done in previous weeks. We've got these these five verses here that are just packed full of a lot. We have Joshua here who is building an altar. He builds it. He he writes a copy of Moses' law on the stones of the altar, and then he reads the entire law to all all of the people in the valley below. So this is the second of three covenant renewals that we see in the book of Joshua. The first one is before they go across to Jericho, where they are to circumcise all of the men and they are to celebrate Passover. This is the first mark of of a renewal of the commitment to God, a renewal of this covenant relationship. And so this is the second one in Joshua, and then a final one will be in chapter 24 that we'll get to in a few weeks. He's giving his final instructions before his death of what it means to follow God. And, for, and on this day, who do you choose? As for me and my house, I choose the Lord. And he's presenting this question to the people, will you recommit, will you renew your covenant to God. Into the instructions that he's given you. So we look at this, and we see first that, that Joshua is building an altar. And this is an important act because there are, are all of these celebrations and rituals that happen around the altar. It says that there are fellowship offerings, which are, are burnt offerings where they, they only burn a certain par, part of the, the animals, but the rest is left for a great feast. It is the potluck of all potlucks, <laughs> where you come and celebrate God. It's, it's a time of celebration. But then there's also this, this uh, burnt offering as a combination with that. And these are, are offerings where the entire animal is burnt up to send pleasing aromas up to God. He smells the great barbecue, and it is, it is good for him. This is this this great opportunity of worship where they're sacrificing to God and signaling who he is and who they are as a people of God. And so we see here a very positive celebration. They build this altar for, for sacrifice. Now, there's also this great symbolism here because the altar is in this very strategic place because they're claiming the land's. The altar is built in the very heart of Canaan in this strategic east-west passageway. And so it's claiming that the northern area, the southern area, all of this space, all of this land is ours. It's like putting the flag at the top of a mountain that's climbed or, or putting a flag on the moon when you get to the moon to say, we have been here and this is ours. We're claiming it. And so the building of an altar is so important to the people because because they're finally getting into the land and they're they're building something permanent to say the land is ours. God has given it to us. But then Joshua goes on and he writes the law of Moses onto these stones. Can you imagine the the amount of effort that is taken as, as he writes on these stones Now, now the instructions that are being written here, the the law of Moses, this would be equivalent to a, a constitution for us, something that is written that defines their identity as a people. So not only is this altar being built in this strategic place, but their greatest text, their most important words of instruction are being engraved on these stones. It defines who they are, it defines where they have been, and it defines their destiny. And everyone is present for this. There is this great collection of people, leaders, priests, citizens, residents, aliens, women, children. This is a public event for all. This isn't something that is excluded just for some. It's not just excluded, it's not just for insiders, It's for outsiders as well. Everybody is participating in these. And the express purpose of these instructions, the reason these instructions are given, are to be a blessing to the people. And so the the altar is built. Joshua writes the law on the stones, and then he reads it to the people. He reads everything to them. It's the first recorded public reading of the law of Moses since Moses has died. And so this is the moment they're in the lands, they have built the altar, they have worshipped God, they have written down the law of Moses, and now they are reading it to the people. And it is given to them as this life or death choice that we see in Deuteronomy chapter thirty. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, it says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now here they are in the land that was sworn to them. And they are given this choice once again. Will you choose life, the covenant relationship with God, or will you choose death? Will you reject him? Life and death, which one will you choose? And so it's helpful for us to understand uh, some of the terminology in here as we think about how this fits for us today. Because we read these stories on the surface and we start to scratch our head and say, okay, that was great. They built an altar. We're not going to build an altar here. We're not going to have a sacrifice of animals. But what's going on here? And so the first is this idea of renewal. Renewal. Now, now, many of us would, would kind of say, okay, renewal really isn't that important because let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you've committed to something, you do it. and if you stop if you stop doing it, then you've broken the commitments. You shouldn't have to renew anything unless it's a magazine subscription. And so we think of the word renewal and we think of those annoying things that we get in the mail from the first day we get the magazine to every day, every month after that, saying it's almost about to expire in six months. It's almost about to expire in four months. Will you renew your subscription? Will you renew your commitment to this magazine? But here is something so much more significant than a magazine subscription. This is a covenant relationship with God. And so is renewal important? As we think about the commitment that we have made to God, has anything in your life changed since you made that commitment? Ryan was baptized last week. Has, has anything changed in the last week? Some of us were baptized years ago, decades ago. Has anything changed in your life since that moment where you made that commitment? Yes, absolutely. A lot has changed for some of us more than others. A lot has changed since we initially made that commitment. And so do we need to renew that commitment? Do we need to say, yes, circumstances have changed, but I'm going to hold to that commitment. I'm going to hold to what I said I would do. I'm going to hold to that relationship with God. We need to be making that commitment over and over and over. For some of us, we made that decision as a child, and our perception of things is very skewed. For me, I was baptized when I was 13. A lot has changed since I was 13, thankfully. (laughs) And so, your understanding of who God is changes. Difficult circumstances come along. You, you get into the, the, the meat of life, the difficulty of life. You get into those trials and, and those difficult times, and you have to say, okay, I believed something about God then. Do I still believe it now? Do I still believe the truth of who He is? Am I going to continue to be committed to that? We get into challenges, we get into struggles, we get into trials. Illnesses happen, difficulties happen. Challenges happen. Life gets messy, and you have to get into that mess and say, do I still believe what I believed at that commitment to God? And so is renewal important. Each stage of our life challenges us. It challenges and tests the adequacy and the relevance of that commitment that was made. When, when, when Laura and I walk down the aisle and commit to one another marriage, I had no idea what that really meant, right? And the feeling is mutual. Where, where, where you think it's like, okay, this is going to be this, this thing, right? And then unemployment happens. And then adoption happens. And then child number one happens, and child number two happens. And then child number three happens. And all the challenges that come along the way. Some of that I, I stood in front of friends and family to, to give a commitment to. To say I'm going to be in this for better or worse. And I didn't understand what worse was. And you get to each stage of your life. Be it in marriage or anything else. You get to those stages and you have to say, okay, I thought I knew what this was about. But then I got to this chronic illness. Then I got to cancer. Then I got to divorce. Then I got to being fired. And then I got to, and then whatever it is that you get to. And you have to say, do I really believe what I said I believed? So renewal is important. The other component here is this idea of covenants. Now the the word covenant can mean a lot of different things, but but in this definition, it is defining a relationship between God and Israel. And that is not a relationship between equals. It is not a mutual relationship. I give a little bit and God gives a little bit and now we got this great friendship going on. That is not the covenant relationship of God. God is supreme. God is sovereign, and we are subordinate to him. And so when we talk about being in a covenant relationship with God, God presents the terms as the one that is sovereign, and we have to decide whether or not we can agree to that. We don't start negotiating it. We don't negotiate terms of the contract. Well, I'd like a little bit more of this and a little less of this. Would you be willing to give on that? (laughs) No. God God gives us the terms of the covenant relationship, and you choose whether or not to follow. You make a life-or-death decision of who your God is. And this is the covenant relationship between us. And God. And so how do we live out this covenant renewal today? How do, we, how do we look at who God is, what he's done for us, what terms he lays out for us, and what agreement we've made to be a part of that? And there's lots of things in our calendar that help remind us of who God is. Uh, in December, we're going to be entering into a season of Advent, starting on December 3rd. Where, you re, where we remember the birth of Jesus and the gift of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. It is a promise that God is with us. And so we celebrate every year Christmas, not as a chance to, to, to share gifts, but a chance to remember who Jesus is, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. And so we go through the Advent season, and then we get to to Easter in the spring, which is not about Easter egg hunts. It is about a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. It's a celebration of this final week of ministry that he has, leading to the cross, leading to his death, and celebrating his resurrection. And so every year we celebrate Easter to remember who Jesus is, to remember that he is victorious over death that he is victorious over sin. And then we have have the 40 days of Lent leading up to Easter that remind us of how sinful we are. It's a time of repentance, a time of fasting, a time of preparation for Easter. And so when we talk about these different celebrations throughout the calendar year, they're important not just because they're a fun event. This helps anchor us into who we are as people in a covenant relationship with God. They anchor us into who he is. We have a reminder every single Sunday through communion that says who Jesus is. It anchors our identity into who Jesus is, what he has done for us on the cross, and who we are with life in him. But one of the things is all of those point to who God is and there's this implicit understanding of who we are in that. But there's not this explicit saying I'm renewing my covenant with him. Yes, God has done these things. We celebrate through Christmas and we celebrate through Easter, we celebrate through communion. All of these focus us on the the mighty acts of God. And they remind us who we are. But I think sometimes we need to pause and say, are you going to make a life and death decision? We make this decision through baptism. This moment where where we confess who God is, we confess that we are sinful and in need of a Savior, we are buried and die to self into the water, and we come out in a resurrection of new life. That for me to commit to to a covenant relationship with God means I have to die to myself, that I need to surrender myself to him, and that he is now my God. And that's what we do through the waters of baptism as we make this commitment to him. For me, I'd, I made that decision when I was 13 at camp at Ponderosa, where, where my dad took me to the creek in the presence of friends and family and went into the water and out of the water, dying to self. And in my 13 year old brain, I had a certain understanding of what dying to self meant. But life happens, life evolves. And as I'm walking through the woods this last Tuesday, I hear this reminder from God, I will redeem your pain, I will redeem your disappointments if you will surrender to me. And so surrender did not happen just at that time of baptism, but, but it has had to happen every day since. Will you surrender your life to him? This is what baptism is. And so are there ways that we can symbolically reaffirm the decisions that we made in baptism? Baptism marks this event where we we enter into the Christian faith. It's it's a reminder of who God is and, and what we're doing And so, this morning, we're going to pause, and we're going to take some time and remember the waters of baptism, not just for the sake of remembering. Several weeks ago, we, we talked about remembering the mighty acts of God, Oh, that's so refreshing to to remember the mighty acts of God. But at this moment, we're going to pause and remember our commitment to God. That dying to self, surrendering to self, that it's not about me. It's not about the life that I want to live. It's not about who I want to be. It's about what God wants for my life and what God wants me to be. It's not about me controlling my circumstances. It's not about me being able to to define the reality that I want. It's about surrendering and trusting God. That's why we went into the water in the first place. And so for our time together this morning, uh, we're going to to spend time... uh, at communion, at the table. Uh, And we have tables set up. We have four tables set up throughout the room. And so you can take some time going to one of those tables. But I would encourage you, before you go to one of those tables, to stop at the water. Uh, We have water three places in the back. We have it down here in front. And you're welcome to gather around here if you're tall enough to reach over the edge but I want you to pause at the water. Dip your hands in. Feel it. Think about it. Make a a tangible connection with your past, Remembering, remembering that baptism, remembering that commitment to be in a covenant relationship with God. And so the praise team has a song that they're going to sing for us uh, that, that, kinda, that connects us to the waters of baptism. And so this, this is going to be a time where we're going to be moving around a bit. Um, there may be some moments of awkward silence. Uh, there may be moments where you just need to sit and reflect. And so you can engage in this. This is not. There's nothing magical about this water. There's nothing that is, is required in this moment. But this is an opportunity for us to, to get engaged in the process a little bit. It's optional. There's not going to be a, a head counting of who does this. And so for you, the best use of your time may be just sitting there and reflecting on your relationship with God. And that may be the best use of your time right now, and that is so important. But I want to encourage you to, to, to come through this activity and this exercise to, to come to the water, dip your hands in, remember the baptism that you've experienced. And then, after you've spent a moment there at the water, move to one of the communion stations and share in communion there. This is something that you can do by yourself. This is something that you can do as a family. Uh, This is something that you can do with a friend or with your life group, however you feel like you want to engage in this. Because one of the important things is for us in our renewal of commitment to Christ is to also be thinking about who we need to share that with. Who do you need to share that story with? This was my baptism. This was my commitment to a relationship with God. And this is how God has blessed that decision. This is the blessing that I've received because of my decision to follow Jesus. So let's go ahead and stand. Um, There are are some of you who, who have not made a decision to enter into a covenant relationship with God. And you're on this journey of discovering who God is and what that relationship needs to look like. And so we'd love to be able to have that conversation with you this morning to talk about what what is baptism and what does this relationship with God look like. And so I'll be down front if you want to come have that conversation with me. Once you're completed with the the exercise of going through the, the water and time at the table Uh, Then head back to your seats and you can spend some time praying with one another there if you feel uh, called to. And uh, then we'll kind of wrap up when it looks like everybody's had a chance to participate in the way that they've wanted to participate. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for loving us and forgiving us. We thank you for giving your son to us who, who who would die as a sacrifice for us. And so, God, as we take this bread and as we take this cup, we remember what Jesus has done for us. And, God, as we, as we dip our hands into the water of baptism, I pray that you will remind us of our commitments and help us to renew that commitment in, in ways that we have wandered off. God, bring us back. Help us to refocus in on, on what it means to be in relationship with you to be in covenant with you. God, you have given us your instructions. You've given us your desires for us. We surrender ourselves to you. And so, God, we come to the water. We come to the table now. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. One of the questions that comes up a lot uh, in, in conversations with people around the idea of baptism is, uh, I didn't get it whenever I was first baptized. I was young, I did it because my friends were doing it, I, uh, I was at TCC and they sang Amazing Grace too many times, I don't, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> Inside joke for those of you who have been here for a while. Um, and, and so we, we think about that commitment that was made, and it's like, okay, what, did, it, did it stick? Do I need to do it again now that I understand better? And you know, my my first my first thing is that's between you and God. You're going to have to reconcile that because there is no right answer uh, that I can give you. That's going to be between you and God. But um, but my my question would be: Are you going to be rebaptized every time you have a new understanding of who God is? No. <laughs> it would keep the baptistry way too busy. Hopefully today you have a, a better understanding of who God is than what you had yesterday. And tomorrow you will have a better understanding of who he is. And so we, we go into the waters of baptism thinking that God is maybe kind of small, but hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna commit to who God is. And as you go through those seasons of life, and as you were tested in that faith, your idea of who God is will get bigger and bigger and bigger. And your idea of who you are <laughs> will get smaller and smaller. And we're all in a different place in that journey. But we remember, I am surrendering to God. And when that next battle comes along, because we're only in Joshua chapter 8, and there are many more battles to come, we've only gotten two done. (laughs) When those battles come and those difficulties come and the challenges come, you will have an altar built to remember who God is and the relationship that you have with him. And you will be able to weather that storm and go through that battle, go through that trial in ways that you never imagined that you could have before. Let's pray together. God, we come to your throne room and remember the commitments that we have made to you. And with that remembering, we probably remember of many of the ways in which we have failed that commitment. And for that, we're thankful that Jesus' body is broken and his blood is shed in our place. So God, remind us of our baptism. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to encourage you to find ways to remember your baptism frequently. Sometimes it's witnessing others being baptized. That's a great reminder for us. For me, every time I'm at Ponderosa, I go for a walk down to the creek and walk along the waters and see how the creek has changed since I was 13. And reflect on how I've changed since I was 13. So remember that. Remember your baptism. Remember the relationship that you have with God. And hold on to that as your anchor.